This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. The basic ways that we digest, the basic enzyme systems, the basic biochemistry, pharmacology was basically the same in animals, in mammals, and in people. The only difference, for example, digestion. If we look at a dog or a cat, even though dogs and cats are carnivores and people are omnivores, the basic digestive process is the same. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn about natural pet health. We'll discuss cooking with fresh herbs. We'll find out whether 5G is safe. And lastly, we'll hear about procrastinating and distractivating. But first, a little bit of business. Omega Alpha is 100% Canadian-owned and has been GMP-certified for manufacturing to pharmaceutical standards since its inception in 1992. It uses only all-natural herbs, vitamins, and minerals in their formulations. The company is site-licensed for manufacturing nutraceuticals by the Natural Health Products Directorate, a division of Health Canada. They have four company divisions, both a consumer line and professional line of human products, equine pet health products, and a custom manufacturing private label division. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit their website at omegaalphainc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biochemical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings. Welcome back to the show, sir. How are you? Very good, Jamie. Thanks for having me back again. Always a pleasure. And today... We're going to be talking about pets, which is awesome, because I have an awesome dog who gets into all kinds of trouble now that the weather's nicer, and you're going to help me deal with those issues, yeah? For sure. One of the things that is always interesting to me is that when I was at university, I did this course on comparative physiology, where we looked at the physiology of animals, mammals, and compared them to the physiology of people. And what was interesting was that the basic ways that we digest, the basic enzyme systems, the basic biochemistry, pharmacology was basically the same in animals, in mammals, and in people. Wow. The only difference, that, you, for example, digestion. Yeah. If we look at a dog or a cat, even though dogs and cats are carnivores and people are omnivores, the basic digestive process is the same. What that means is that if you took a piece of meat, the piece of meat couldn't be absorbed into your bloodstream as meat. It had to be broken down to basic amino acids, mm-hmm. okay? And then the amino acids then gets absorbed. The same thing with fats. The fats had to be broken down into free fatty acids, and the free fatty acids can then be absorbed. Carbs is the same thing. Had to be broken down into simple sugars, and by that we mean glucose, fructose, and so on. Yep. And those, again, were then absorbed. And then the body then took everything and rebuilt everything, right? Yeah. And that's how it happened. And so pets have most of the same issues that we do. The only difference that you have to worry about with pets versus us is the size and the comparative safety of the different things that we give to our pets. One of the classic examples is that for people, 
we can suck back on chocolate with no problem. Yes. Right? Dogs and cats have a big problem with that. Right? Yeah. However, it's like anything else. Dosage is important. Like uh, one of the things with people is that we can take a whole chocolate bar, no problem. Right? If a dog got into the chocolate, you know he's going to eat your whole chocolate bar. Correct. Yeah. If you're giving him pure cocoa, Right, he might have a problem if you give him dark chocolate is a problem. Yeah, milk, if you give him milk chocolate, it's better. It's not a huge problem. He might be ill, may or may not be ill. But the whole thing, point about it is that the amount of caffeine that he's going to intake is going to be a lot less. So dosage is very, it, very important. Is it the caffeine that's the issue in the chocolate? Well, there's a bunch of compounds yeah. called xanthines, and caffeine is a xanthine. Got it. Right? So caffeine is one, but there's also a whole bunch of different other compounds in there, right? So I use caffeine just because it's so generic. Everybody identify with caffeine. If I say xanthine, everybody gives me a, a funny look. A little head scratch. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, anyway, so these are some of the issues. So pets have the same digestive issues that we do, right? Sometimes in the springtime, if you go out there, what you'll see is the pets, they're eating the grass, yeah. etc. And one of the things when you're eating the grass, you can pick up parasites from the grass. Right. Right? We don't eat the grass as people, but you know what? We eat sushi, yep. right? Mm-hmm. We eat salads. And sometimes, you know, if the salads are not clean properly or if it's just grown out of my garden, I pick it up, I, I clean it out, etc. I do the best that I can. I can still pick up parasites. Now, one of the good things about a digestive tract pets and people is that we have ways and means of dealing with parasites. Mm-hmm. No, under normal conditions, if you're in good health, we have a healthy immune system. We have good acids in the stomach. The acids in the stomach actually destroys a lot of the parasites before you can get access to the lower intestine. Right? If you have a good digestive, if a good immune system, for example, even if the parasite were to make it into the digestive tract, the immune system comes and attacks it. Right, and can mm-hmm. destroy the parasite. So under normal conditions, we can look after ourselves quite easily. However, after having said that, we do know of cases where pets pick up worms, right? Yep. Even people pick up worms, right? And by worms, I use the generic worms, okay? Yep. I mean, that could be tapeworm, ringworm, right? yeah. ringworm, a right. whole bunch of different things, okay? But again, a lot of it depends on how much you encounter. Under normal conditions, you probably don't, you know, if you wash your vegetables, etc., you probably don't have to deal with it. It's not a big issue. Right, but for pets, they're not washing anything. That's right. At least my dog doesn't. Whatever he's into, he's into. I mean, you hear stories about pets eating poop, etc., etc., right? Yeah, thankfully my dog is not a poop eater, so that's good. Yeah, but it happens, right? Yeah. But they have issues. And one of the ways that we can help deal with this is to use probiotics. Okay. Right. Probiotics, one of the things that probiotics do is that, think of probiotics as good grass, right? Mm-hmm. If you have a lawn full of good grass and I come and throw in some seeds there, the weeds have a hard time getting a foothold. Right. right? You may get one or two weeds getting a foothold, but you don't, your whole lawn is not covered with weeds, right? right. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing with probiotics. If you have a good microbiome in, in the gut there and there's many probiotics in there or good bacteria in there, then you're good to go. But it's like anything else. You know, if you don't come and throw good grass seed down on your lawn, over time, your good grass becomes weeds. Yep. I, when I say weeds, I, I don't mean like it's automatically transformed into weeds. It's just that your good grass die out, the weeds take over. No, you're, you're allowing right. an environment that is where the weeds are able to grow. That's right. right. So one of my things that I tell people, give your dog probiotics on a regular basis. And what that basically does is that you're basically throwing good grass seed down. 
And again, my magic take-home message with this thing is use a product that has a wide variety of probiotics, not just one single probiotic. Can we tell if our pets need the probiotics or are you just saying this is something you should do? Sometimes you can tell. For example, if your dog has diarrhea, right? right? And I know that many times dogs have diarrhea, cats have diarrhea. And sometimes I've heard people say to me, this has been going on for two weeks, three weeks, a month, right? And it just doesn't seem to clear up, right? That means a case like that. No, I'm not a vet. I'm not advocating that you self-diagnose, but you can go to your vet, right? And Mm -hmm. again, one of the things that we know that helps is a probiotic. Give them a good probiotic, and that helps big okay. time clearing it up, right? Now, there are many different reasons for diarrhea, but this is just one of the reasons, right, that we talk about. Okay. Right? No, these are some of the things that you do. Now, again, worms is an issue, right? I know there's many different dewormers out there that you can use, right? Mm-hmm. Antiparasitics. So those are some of the things that you look at. Am I a fan of some of these antiparasitics? The answer is no. Why is that? Oh, because it's very hard on your intestinal tract. Right. Okay. Uh, so that's why I'm not an advocate. But it's like anything else. If I have, or if your pet is ill, right? Whilst I, I'm not a big advocate of the antibiotics, sometimes you need it. Yep. Right. So if you're going to give him the antibiotics, make sure you follow up with probiotics. Right. right? To replace the flora. To, yeah. to replace the flora. So it's the same thing with some of these antiparasitics. Yeah. Once in a while, it's not a bad thing. Right. Mm-hmm. But don't live on them. Right. Don't right. don't go overboard with it. Again, again, if you're feeding your animal, give them a wide variety of, of foods. I know there are people who just feed kibble to their dog, right? Yeah. Whilst it's a balanced diet, there's a lot of stuff they don't get. Right. right? So like in the fresh fruits and so on, they don't get a lot of the fiber, and the fiber is important. My dog happens to love mango. And she loves fennel. So, you know, it's easy. And, you know, if she sees me eating an apple, she'll come up and she'll, you know, she'll want some nibbles of the apple. So she's getting her fiber. But are you saying that dogs may need the fiber from fruits and vegetables? Yeah, Definitely dogs need fiber, right? But they may not need the same quantity of wheat. Of course. Yeah. Right? But they do need fiber in their diet. And that's one of the things that when they're eating the grass, et cetera, that's one of the things that they're getting from there is the fiber. Huh. Right? Again, like us, they're prone to all sorts of illnesses, right? As they get older, one of the things that you notice, when your dog is a certain age, like when they hit like nine years old, they say in dog years, that's that's 63 years, people years, right? Yeah. What you find, they will have joint issues, just like you and I. Right. Right? And again, there's things that we can use to help them be more comfortable. So, I mean, we talk a little bit of glucosamine, chondroitin, and mm-hmm. so on for those. But one of the things that's also very good for joint issues with, with dogs and cats is also anti-inflammatories, right? Now, I'm not advocating that you go give them like an ibuprofen or, right. or that type of thing. They are naturally occurring anti-inflammatories that people have used and gotten great results with, right? Things like devil's claw, things like curcumin, right? Those things are helpful. So I would imagine dosages for pets are different. Like you, you're not advocating human dosages for, no, I'm for pets. I'm not advocating human dosages. Dosages are important, but again, anything natural. Remember, the mantra here is the safety margins are huge. Right. Right. They're much higher than the safety margins on, say, pharmaceutical drugs. For example, right. okay. I would never tell anybody take three extra strength Tylenol. Right on yep. an ongoing basis. No. Nope. Right. I'll probably stop at two extra strength Tylenol. And that's if you're a big guy, right? Yep. If you're weighing 100 pounds soaking wet, all right, two extra strength Tylenol might be a little bit of a problem, right? right? Mm-hmm. But if you're 100 pounds soaking wet, 
you can double or triple your dose of vitamin C. You can double or triple your dose or quadruple your dose of a lot of herbal supplements, right, mm-hmm. without ill effect, right? Got now, it. in all fairness, there are, in the natural world, there are products or there are herbs which are very toxic to you. But the nice thing about our, our regimen here in Canada is a lot of these products are controlled by Health Canada. For most people who have product out there to sell, they're only allowed to sell the safe ingredients. Right. Right. So ingredients which are toxic will never get blessed. Got it. Right. So, you know, as a natural product. So this is why the natural product will... Uh, the safety margins are huge. Question for you, Gordon. We're talking about pets and their digestion as though they're almost human. Do pets have allergy issues as well? Can they have sensitivities to foods and, oh, and yeah. such? Pets will have allergies. They're just like you and I. They have the same issues that we would have, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you ask me the million-dollar question, what can we do about the allergies? <laughs> <laughs> that sometimes is very difficult to because right. sometimes here's how an allergy can happen. You have an inflammation in the gut, for example, okay? Mm-hmm. And what happens is that you ate a certain food. The food wasn't fully digested, and it gets into the bloodstream via your inflamed section, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And once it gets into the bloodstream, what happens then? The bloodstream sees it as a foreign protein. Next thing you know, the immune system of the pet says, ha, you have a foreign protein coming in, right? So it sets up an immune response, right? So, and then from then on, whenever you encounter that foreign protein, you get that immune response happening. So that is one way you can get food allergies happening. And that is only one way. There's so many different ways of getting food allergies, right? And sometimes once you get it, it's very difficult to go back on it. Right. So even things like autoimmune diseases, some pets can get that. Again, it has to do with the physiology of it in the sense that, for example, the autoimmune disease, one of the classic pathways that people talk about is that we get a bacterial infection. The bacteria has some sequences on its body that makes it resemble one of the cells in our body. Our body produces uh, antibodies to the bacteria, and then when the bacteria is gone, all of a sudden the antibodies are seeing all the cells in our body that has a sequence similar to what we find in the antibodies. So that starts attacking our cells, our own cells. So that's one of the pathways. Right? So these are some of the things that we can encounter as we go along. One of the things I would say, we have to try and keep our pets healthy. And one of the best is, I mean, just like we take a multivitamin, you give your pet a multivite. Okay. Right? Is that for any age or as they get older? Or any, any age, I would say. Just because pets, is even more important, so more so for pets than for us, because we eat a wide variety. We have a huge diet. Right. Okay? We eat food from all over the world. Yep. So we get minerals from all over the world. For example, selenium is one of those things that might be in short supply in certain places. But because we eat it all from all over the world, we get selenium in our diet. We eat plants that are rich in selenium, magnesium, etc. But remember, a lot of our animals, if you just feed them kibble, yeah. basically it's what's in the kibble is what they're getting. So if anything is short supply in the kibble, you don't get it. Right. And for example, my pet has had the same kibble since she was a puppy, right? I mean, she had the puppy version, but we've been using the same brand. So That's really, right. I mean, her food intake is even more limited, except for the scraps that she might, you know, beg for. Right? That's right. You know what I mean? So it's always a good thing to try and supplement your animal with, with a good multivite. There are companies like ours who make good multivites for your animal, 
right? Right. Time for one last question. You know, we, we mentioned all full range of products. If people are interested in finding out about, you know, all those items, the vitamins, uh, the joint care, et cetera, et cetera, how would they access it through your company? Oh, they can go to our website, omegaalpha.ca, and there's information on the, on the pets and on the people and even on the horses side. Right. And we have a 1-800 number that people can call, and there's individuals here who would be more than happy to answer the product questions as best as they can. Fantastic. That's all the time we have today, but you're going to come back next month and talk more health and wellness issues, yes? Definitely. Fantastic. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural Liquid Greens. Alamax Canada is the company that delivers real, bioactive, stabilized allicin. Using only the freshest garlic from Spain, Alamax is the trusted source for a high-quality and effective allicin supplement. The manufacturers of Alamax have dedicated their time to researching this fascinating plant and all of its antimicrobial and antibacterial benefits. To fight infection and stay well, take Alamax. For more information, visit alamax.ca. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Carolyn Tanner-Cohen is the owner and founder of Delicious Dish Cooking School in Toronto. She's been teaching cooking classes for over 17 years. She has a science background which edifies her interest in health and fueling the body with foods that will optimize health. Carolyn teaches people how to meal plan, eat healthy, cook with natural whole foods, and organize their kitchen. She teaches new cooks, seasoned cooks, university students who are living on their own for the first time, nannies, housekeepers, and everyone in between. For more information about Carolyn, you can visit deliciousdish.ca. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Jamie. How are you? I'm doing well. So, you know, it's summertime, and I don't know if everyone's like me. I certainly hope not. It would be a boring place if everyone was like me, but (laughs) I do some gardening, and sometimes I overplant, and I've got all kinds of extra peppers or all kinds of extra herbs or all kinds of extra tomatoes. And you don't necessarily just want to eat them day in, day out, but you don't want them to go to waste. So we're going to discuss what you can do with the produce, whether you're growing it or bringing it home when you have too much. Yeah, absolutely. Let's start because I know you love your rules. What are your produce <laughs> rules? Okay, here we go. So first of all, Jamie, I don't garden, although I would like to and I dream about it sometimes at night, but okay. I do buy a lot of herbs. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So first and foremost, I get this question all the time. How do you store your herbs so that they don't, you know, turn brown or get moldy or whatever it might be? And how long do they last? Right. So let's start with that. First of all, you need to store your produce dry. Not everything, and there are exceptions, and we'll get into it, but you need to store them dry. Some produce or some herbs or some vegetables, let's call it, need a little bit of moisture to keep perky, but too much moisture can promote mold or mushiness. So make sure that you thoroughly dry 
dry anything you're washing before you're putting it away. So what I'd like to do first is give you the exception so that we can move on from that. Yep. So green onions, you know, the long, long ones, yep. they like actually to be stored upright with the root down in water at room temperature, believe it or not. Okay, so you're going to start having this little garden on your counter. Yep. And they'll keep growing that way forever as long as you refresh the water now and then. And you can just cut off the top and you'll be all good. Asparagus. So people think like, oh, I better buy my asparagus the day I need it. You actually don't need to. It's more like a bouquet of fresh flowers. You just trim the bottom ends a little bit and put them in a glass of water or even like a shallow container that has water at the bottom. And you're going to refrigerate that until ready to use. So it's kind of like exactly the way you might see it in the grocery store. And I've had asparagus for 10 days like that and it's fabulous. Storing whole carrots, peeled. I always peel them first because I don't want to deal with them. We talked about that last month. You store whole carrots covered in a container of water, and that will keep them firm. And the same thing for celery. Okay, And change the water every two days or so. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it gets a little slimy. Now, when in doubt, this is a good rule, bag it. It'll help prevent the moisture in your vegetable from evaporating. And I'm not saying you want to add moisture, but you don't want to have it evaporate. So imagine leaving a a bunch of parsley on the container. In two or three hours, that parsley will have wilted. So you want to keep the moisture in the leaves, in the leaves, okay? Okay. So it doesn't go limp. So herbs, this is what I do. I bring them home. I remove the twist ties or the rubber bands because they actually choke the water flow in the stem, okay? Mm -hmm. And if your herbs are very, very dirty, then wash them. Otherwise, I generally do not wash them, okay? Mm-hmm. Just, and that's specifically with basil yeah, or basil, basil turns yeah. to mush when you wash it. Yep. Yeah. And then to dry it, I use a salad spinner. And then I roll them up into two layers of clean dish towels or even paper towel, okay? Mm-hmm. And I bundle them up, okay? So like a, you know, I place the bundled herbs in a resealable plastic bag. And I actually use the same bag that I brought the herbs home from the grocery store. So that like sort of thin plastic bag and then I will tie like a loose knot around it and I'll throw them in the fridge like that. Another experiment that I've been doing in the last few months is I've been leaving my herbs at room temperature like you would put flowers, so parsley, cilantro, basil, mint. And I was trying it, and I'm not sure if it really extends the life or shortens the life. The verdict is still out. And what I do is I put the bottom of the parsley or the cilantro or the herbs in a mug, let's say, and it has a little bit of water at the bottom of it. And then I drape the bags that I brought the herbs home, and I drape it over the herbs as if I'm making like a little bit of a greenhouse. And you'll see that the bag gets a little bit foggy, so you're keeping the moisture in. In and it works phenomenally. But I think in the fridge, it works equally as well. Okay. Okay, so there's two different ways. So again, if you don't have fridge space, it's a great thing. If you don't have counter space, the fridge is a great option. They're both great options. Yep. Okay, so that's pretty much with herbs. Now, let's jump forward and not to digress off the herbs. If you want to freeze the herbs, so you now you've had too much and you're really concerned that it's going to go bad. So first and foremost is I'll chop the herbs how I eventually want to be using it. So if you've ever chopped frozen parsley after it's defrosted, it just turns into a big mush. So instead, I'll finely chop it because that's usually how I want to use it. And then when I defrost it, or I don't even really have to defrost it, I could generally use it from frozen. It's ready to roll. Now, I don't use it fresh for a salad or fresh as a garnish once it's been frozen, but it's fabulous in soups or stews or something like that. Okay. Something you want to mix in. Yep. Okay. So that's herbs. Now, um, I want to just tell you a couple things that you should never keep in the 
fridge, because a lot of people don't know this, but you never want to keep tomatoes in the fridge. They ruin, they're best to keep on the counter in warm light of the sun, okay? Garlic, onions, and shallots. Also, cool, dark place, and make sure you avoid wrapping them in plastic bags. These certain things you want them to breathe. Um, Squash. I know we're like well out of squash season, but just so you remember this for this fall and winter, they don't need to be refrigerated. They can be, but they don't need to be. Potatoes, sweet potatoes, corn, believe it or not, okay? Mm -hmm. And stone fruits, okay? They're just like tomatoes, like plums, peaches, cherries, which I'm sure we're going to start buying in abundance. They do not need to be put in their fridge. They go quite mealy when they're in the fridge. Those are my produce rules, okay? So stick to those rules and you'll be pretty good. Okay. Yep. And if you have any, you know, tips or tricks or whatever, jump right in. And by the way, citrus and ginger, I forgot to tell you about, those go in the fridge. Really? I keep my ginger in cold storage, like with shallots and onions. Yeah, you can. And a lot of people do, but I prefer it in the fridge. I find that it dehydrates a lot less. Okay. Okay. So freezer. First and foremost, for the most part, I don't usually freeze in glass jars. Unless you know they're explicitly their freezer safe. Unless you know explicitly their freezer safe, okay? Yep. The problem is, is that most glass it has not been tempered and there is a risk of it shattering, okay? Yep. Especially if you're freezing liquids that expand as it freezes. So skip that and just move on to, you know, Tupperware or freezer bags or those deli containers. And another thing that I freeze, and most people don't realize that, they realize this, is you know when you go and you buy like jalapenos or red chilies or Thai bird chilies, you get like, 10 or 30 or 50 yeah. in your little container, in your styrofoam, all of those could go in the freezer. So I have a container. It used to be a plastic bag, but now it's a container. And it's just labeled chilies and other strange things. Okay, It actually okay. has that label. What are the other strange things? I think you have to yeah. answer that first. Okay. So the other strange things are lemongrass. Yeah. Bay leaves, fresh bay leaves. I don't buy them dry. They're just, you find them in those little clamshells in the herb section of the grocery store. Bay leaves. Yeah. Lemongrass. I have lime leaves and curry leaves. What kind for lime leaves? Yeah, yeah. Yes, because they're very hard to find. And if you ever do find them, they freeze beautifully. And so do curry leaves. They get a little wilty, but you're going to throw them into your curry anyway. Yep. So that's sort of like I keep a big bag of, I like to call it scraps, but they're not really scraps. Yep. I have another container that has red peppers that have been roasted on my barbecue when they're cheap and in season. Mm-hmm. So we're coming into that season very soon. So instead of buying, and you know, you need a roasted pepper for a recipe. So instead of buying one and roasting it, you might want to buy six, putting them on the barbecue, waiting till they're charred on the outside, peeling the pepper, seeding the pepper, and flash freezing that pepper on a parchment lined tray. And then once you have, you've gathered a few little frozen peppers, you could keep them in a zip-top bag. Or sweet potatoes. Have you ever cooked a sweet potato in the oven? It takes forever, right? Yeah. And oftentimes you might need a pulp of a sweet potato. I personally do. I use sweet potato as fillers for meatballs and stuff like that instead of breadcrumbs. So what I'll do is I'll bake many sweet potatoes at a time, and then I'll peel them when they're cool enough to handle, and I will measure out one cup increments and freeze it in little Ziploc bags, and I will have a larger container of random things like sweet potatoes, red peppers, and red peppers. Okay. okay, yeah. And all of those pretty much last for two to three months. Okay, so again, and we talked about this last month, don't think of your freezer as a long-term storage place. It should be a, a short-term storage place. So like only put what you want in there that you're going to use up in two to three months. 
And remember, Jamie, never freeze on those styrofoam trays that you bring home the meat or the peppers or one. You gather a lot of air on those styrofoam trays and that'll promote freezer burn. Right. If you're using the bags, you kind of want to press out as much air as you can, right? Because that's going to extend the life and it won't get freezer burn. Yeah. Exactly. For sure. Okay. We have time for one last tip. So where do you want to go? I would like to go to condiments. Okay. Okay. So, you know, some people use pesto. Some people use chilies in adobo. It comes in like a little can and yep. has a little sauce around it. Yep. What I like to do for things like pesto and chilies and adobo and smaller condiments, even sun-dried tomatoes that are going to go bad in your fridge that are in a jar, what I'll do is I'll do something called flash freezing it. So I will portion out tablespoon amounts, let's say, mm-hmm. on a parchment-lined cookie sheet, and I will freeze that parchment lined cookie sheet with the condiment lumps on it and then I will have like solid rocks of let's say the chili and adobo or the pesto and then I will throw those solid lumps of each individual ingredient into a larger Ziploc bag and label the bag date of entry how long it should last and what exactly it is I don't use the little ice cube tray because I find it a little bit harder to take it out, but it's a nice little trick that some people do too. You can put pesto in ice cube trays or chili and adobo in an ice cube tray instead of putting it right on a parchment line cookie sheet, which I find a little bit easier. That's good advice. But I'll tell you one last take-home message. All nuts and seeds should live in the fridge or freezer. Okay, They do go rancid pretty quickly, except for the handful of almonds you're going to be eating a day and nut flowers as well, like almond flour. It should be in your fridge or freezer to avoid rancidity. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You are so welcome. You're going to come back next month to discuss more cooking tips, yes? Absolutely. Fantastic. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. Jack Nathan Health offers Canadians convenient care with 74 multidisciplinary clinics located within Walmart stores. The largest ever Jack Nathan Health Medical Center is now open in Vaughan, Ontario at 8300 Highway 27. The new 8,300-square-foot clinic offers integrated services for the whole family, including family medicine, physiotherapy, and chiropractic, chronic pain management, massage, and a registered dietitian. There's also an on-site Dynacare blood laboratory, plus same-day referrals, walk-in appointments, and a new annual health assessment option. Jack Nathan Health is a one-stop shop for proactive health management. For more information, visit jacknathanhealth.com. Are you stressed out? Feel exhausted? Having trouble sleeping? New Roots Herbal offers natural supplements to help take the edge off, relax, and sleep better. Discover de-stress, chill pills, and sleep aid from New Roots Herbal. Natural ingredients and guaranteed purity for a better day and a restful night. Find these and other New Roots Herbal products exclusively at quality health food stores. For more information, visit newrootsherbal.com. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Dr. Emily Lipinski graduated from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto and is a member of the Ontario Association of Naturopathic Doctors. While in the academic world, Emily became fascinated with the potential applications of naturopathic medicine in health and wellness. She strongly believes in addressing the root cause of a medical issue and using natural therapies, 
either alone or in conjunction with conventional Western medicine. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. So today we're going to try not to get political. I'm going to try my best. It's probably more of an issue for me than it is for you. But (laughs) from time to time, we got to tackle these topical issues. And one that I think a lot of people are thinking about is the proposed 5G network. Absolutely. So for those who don't know, what is 5G? 5G is known as fifth-generation mobile network or wireless systems, and it's considered, you know, the next phase in mobile technology. And so these wireless systems are the transmitters that carry signals to our cell phones and other wireless devices. And in Canada and the U.S., 5G isn't really in full operation yet, but it's anticipated that in the next decade, most wireless carriers in the U.S. and Canada will shift to this 5G technology. Right. And what's driving it, of course, is with more use, there has to be greater bandwidth and, you know, everybody needs to be faster because all the information is much more complicated and, and eats up much more bandwidth. So they have to improve their systems. Yeah. The benefits is that it will bring better coverage. Yeah. It will have lower battery consumption, faster internet speeds, and then the ability to support a growing market of products other than just phones and tablets that feature these wireless integrations. Right. So like, like smart you know, home. Google home. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And, and, and the fact of the matter is these things are real and exist already. So to say that we don't need a network to support it is sort of self-defeating because, you know, like it's all part of our lives, right? Like it's not hypothetical. These things are here. However, that being said, there is some concern about the health efficacy of the new 5G network. And and so maybe you can explain what the concerns are. Right. So we kind of have to think about, so what are the big changes that will happen with 5G? And one of them is that 5G networks does require a lot more cell phone towers. So they're expected to have cell phone towers, you know, every three to ten houses. And in the U.S. alone, having millions of cell phone towers installed. And the reason why we have to think, okay, so there's all these new cell phone towers, is that a problem? And a lot of people have concerns because there actually haven't been any research studies on the 5G technology and these increased cell phone towers, which will inevitably lead to increased radiation. And the 5G technology has different wavelengths than previous generation technology. So, you know, a few years ago when you got a cell phone, it was either 2G and then we upgraded to 3G. And now most of us operation on 4G LTE technology currently. And so we have reached some research studies on the radiation from those technologies. And one of the biggest research studies that a lot of people are referring to that have concerns over 5G is there was a a study actually done by the U.S. government in 2018, and it's by the National Toxicology Program, and it looked at the radiation from 2G and 3G cell phone networks. And again, we want to make clear that this radiation is much less than the radiation that will be from 5G. And they found that there was, you know, it was an animal study, but they found that there was increased risk of developing brain tumors and tumors in the heart and tumors in other organs from the radiation waves of right. the cell phone. Well, I mean, you know, so, people used to joke, you know, don't leave your cell phone in your lap because you might go sterile, right? And right. Or, you know, don't use your phone next to your ear because there was a risk of increased brain cancer because of the proximity of the phone to your head if you did it all day, right? Right. 
And then what happened is, you know, there was these proposed risks, and then there was research saying, no, there's not real risk, and then there was more research saying, yes, there is. And then finally, this 28 study that I spoke about, it was the largest scale study. It took a ton of money to do, and they found that, yes, actually, there is some serious concerns to our health with this increased radiation. So now we're jumping forward to 5G and saying, okay, well, we already know that there's some risks at 2G and 3G. 5G has more radiation. We need more cell phone towers. And the one key other factor about 5G is because it's so much more powerful, the radiation can actually penetrate into a cell, whereas 2G, 3G, and 4G could not penetrate the cell. So what kind of radiation are we talking about, though? Right? Because, you know, we get radiation from the sun as well, right? Yes. So ionizing radiation. Okay. So the risk that uh, there's actually about 240 scientists that have become very vocal across the world about what's the 5G. And these scientists are saying that, you know, the risk given what we know from 2G, 3G, and 4G, and given how the radiation is actually, we know how it, in, it acts in our body, the risk that they believe that could happen from 5G, damage to the eyes, immune system disruption, metabolic disruption, damage to sperm, skin damage, collapse of insect populations, rise in bacterial resistance, and damage to plants and trees. Hmm. So there's actually an appeal with many doctors and scientists all over the world, and it's called the 5G Appeal EU. It was started in the European Union, where they're talking about, you know, let's not say we can't, like, we're not saying we don't ever want 5G, but let's look into this, let's do some studies, and then see how we can implement it in a safe way. And since 5G has, you know, to that point, there's actually quite a bit of organizations in Europe that have said that they won't have 5G until there's more testing. So is the European Union united in that? Or is this sort of sectors of commerce in the EU who've said we don't want it until there's further studies? Sectors. So plans for 5G have been halted in Brussels. The environmental minister has said that the people of Brussels are not guinea pigs whose health I cannot sell at a profit. So we don't want to get political, but Brussels has stopped it. Geneva stopped the erection of 5G antennas. Thousands of people actually protested recently in Switzerland against 5G. So Freedom Mobile withdrew their application for a single small antenna in South Surrey, B.C. when residents launched an awareness campaign. And a court in France ordered the removal of 13 wireless transmitting smart meters recently after they've learned of these health issues. And the other thing that's interesting is since a lot of this research, specifically that study that came out in 2018 about the harmful effects of the type of radiation from cell phone towers, a lot of insurers will no longer insure cell phone towers which I just find just fascinating that, you know, Lloyds of London stopped insuring wireless and cell and cell companies. And there's also Aviva will no longer insure against liability from electromagnetic fields. They used to, but again, once these studies came out, they're saying, well, we don't want liability. Sorry, this is insurance of the companies who are operating or the physical space where the antennas are going? The physical space. So before, like when a company would erect a cell phone tower right. and so forth, they get insurance. Of saying, course. You know, and now these cell phone towers essentially aren't insured, like insure companies. Right. One of the other insurers, Swiss RE, which is in the EU, but they now list the spread of 5G networks as one of the five emerging risks on its Sonar 2019 report, saying it could have possible negative health effects. Are there any studies that we can point to regarding 5G, or is it so new that nobody's really had the opportunity to study the 5G network explicitly? That's the problem. We haven't been able to study it, but there's been enough 
you know, how these scientists and some doctors and, and so forth are saying, you know, we need to halt because we already have the facts from these yeah. previous cell phone networks. We're amping up the radiation so much because this is stronger, faster, et cetera. And the type of radiation can now penetrate a cell, whereas before it couldn't. So these are all major potential concerns. We need to do some more research before we put it everywhere. Okay. And that's what people are protesting. What they're saying is, you know, we're, they're not trying to halt progress. They're just saying, hey, can we pump the brakes a bit until we make sure it's safe for everybody, as opposed to having to sort out the problems after the fact. Exactly. And some people, there are a lot of people that never, ever want it. They're like, we don't, you know, we don't even need research. We can just assume that it's detrimental. We don't want it. Well, Where I'm saying is let's do some research. You know, we should have research before we go forward if there is potential health effects. And at least our nation should be informed on what those health effects are and then make, you know, a democratic decision if that's what we want to do. That makes sense to me. Okay. So does this impact the fiber optic network or is this, is that a separate issue? So the fiber optic network is where a lot of people are saying, until we have more research with 5G, why don't we use fiber optic network? And okay. for anyone that doesn't know about fiber optic network, it can also provide very fast broadband speeds. And they're actually more cyber secure as well, if that's a concern for anyone compared to 5G. And they're much safer. They are put in the ground. Yeah. They're like, you know, glass type wires that carry the transmission, you know, almost at the speed of light. They're expensive. That's right. And that's a problem. And also, it's one thing to say, let's put fiber optics in Toronto. It's another thing to say, let's get it up to cottage country or more remote locations. Yeah. That's right. And that's where, you know, probably, you know, as, as a government saying, how are we going to, you know, provide this with, you know, in the most cost effective manner, fiber optics may not be that, but, you know, it might be a stop gap. Against, right. Saying let's do that or at least do that to people that need it right now or large cities and do research on 5G. And then once we determine it's safe or, you know, if we need to modify the technology and then put it out there. Okay, time for one more question, and that is, is there anything we can do to protect ourselves against 5G or other forms of EMF radiation? So, and this is where a lot of people are also having issues. You know, I think we've spoken about before about reducing our exposure to EMF. And when we're holding a cell phone, we know that there's radiation that comes out of that cell phone. So we can actually take actionable steps and not use the cell phone as much, hold the cell phone away from our body, turn it on airplane mode at night to reduce that EMF exposure to us where 5G, there's nothing that we can do as a citizen to reduce our exposure because it's going to be in the air. You know, it's everywhere. Right. So there are a few people that are well-known in Canada and the EU that if anyone wants further information, Dr. Frank Clegg, he's the former Microsoft Canada chief, and he has formed Citizens for Safe Technology. And he has a lot of information out on the internet if people want further information. There's also Dr. Magda Havas. She's a professor at Trent University. Yep. And she's doing a lot of research and, and talking about this and calling for further studies. And then finally, there's Dr. Klinghart. He's an MD and a PhD, and he's the founder of the Institute for Neurobiology in Germany. And he also is calling, he has got a lot of great research and talk that on the internet talking about, you know, calling for more research studies and so forth and talking about potential ways that we can may be able to reduce our exposure. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on the tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. 
Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. For ultra amazing rest, you want the ultramatic adjustable bed. But I'm just an announcer with a really cool voice. Let's hear from ultra happy customers. Robert from Hamilton says. Shirley from Sealy's Bay says. Ultramatic's nanogel technology provides a cool antimicrobial sleep surface. Learn more at ultramatic.ca. Then try it in Ontario's safest mattress store at Lawrence and Bathurst. Ultramatic, elevate your life. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. In addition to being a lawyer, my next guest has been writing for Tonic Magazine for over seven years. Since 2015, she's written the very popular cookbook review column, My Very Patient and Loving Wife, Naomi. Hi, sweetheart. Hi. I think you know this about me. I am a world-class procrastinator. I actually was a semi-professional procrastinator for many years. Uh, I am now fully professional. (laughs) And I think a lot of people are like me. Absolutely, yeah. You're very good. I I can attest to that. I'm a pro. Yeah. (laughs) But we're going to talk about something that's sort of related to that today. And it's a weird word, but apparently it's a real term, at least in the Urban Dictionary. And that is procrastinating. Yes. So what is that? So procrastinating is baking to avoid doing something that you have to do, right? It's a form of procrastination, a specific form. And professional bakers actually do it, which I think is funny, baking to avoid doing other baking. But for the rest of us who aren't professionals, this is baking as a distraction or to avoid doing something that we don't want to do. And that could be schoolwork, housework, paid work, chores. <laughs> You know, calling your mother back, just just as an example. Oh, I really need to bake cookies, and I'm going to call her back later. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And there's also something called distract-a-baking. What's that all about? Yes, they are similar, but not the same. So, you know, I mentioned distractions, but distract-a-baking is distracting yourself from, let's say, a pandemic or the state of the world, or whatever else it is that's worrying you. Baking is a distraction. So it's not that you're putting off something you need to do, but you're baking to get your mind off something that's concerning you. Okay. So, I mean, you know, you don't have to bake in order to sort of function this way. What what other sort of procrastinations or distractions are we finding ourselves doing? Well, of course, the internet, you know, people joke about the internet is a huge hole that you can go down, call it a procrastination or a distraction. Or a time suck. Or a time suck. So the internet, whether that's social media or doing some shopping that you need to do. Yep. Or even the internet, like even emails, if you're working, just responding to emails. So you're doing work, but you're avoiding doing other work. You have a big, ugly project that you need to do or something that you don't want to do. And, oh, I need to answer my emails instead. So you feel like you're doing something, but it's not actually what you're supposed to do. No, you're not doing triage. You're just sort of selectively choosing the thing you would rather do than the thing you don't want to do, right? Yes, napping. A big one, yeah. uh, cleaning. People decide, oh, I really need to reorganize my closets right now. It's very important. I need to exercise. I really need to get out for a walk. I've been, you know, I've been in the house and I need to get out and I need to walk the dog. Socializing. I haven't called any, you know, I haven't seen anybody. I'm stuck in the house. I need to catch up with my friend and see how they're doing. By the way, if anybody would like advice on how to distract <laughs> themselves and, and, you know, I am world class and I'm willing to respond to any emails that you might have questions on how to effectively do nothing when you have things to do. So 
feel free to write in. There's a book that actually inspired this conversation, yeah? Yes. And I mean, I think people were talking about it already. And I don't know whether this book was planned. I'm not sure how you could plan something like this. But a recent book came out called Procrastinating. came out a couple months ago in the midst of this pandemic. It's called Procrastinating: 100 Recipes for Getting Nothing Done in the Most Delicious Way Possible. The author is a woman named Erin Gardner, who is a cookbook author, blogger, pastry chef. She lives in New Hampshire. It's a very cute little book. Yeah, it is cute. It's funny. She's funny. She starts the book by explaining that she was writing the introduction the night before it's due. She you know, clearly <laughs> is a procrastinator, and she's one of the people who talks about baking to avoid doing other baking. And the book itself is fun because she gives you little games, little puzzles, little nuggets that will distract you while you're baking as a distraction from something else you're supposed to do. So it was, you know, it was very timely and cute and, a, you know, just generally a good book for somebody who's yeah. a procrastinator. Right. And, you know, there's a fair bit of whimsy in it, right? This isn't necessarily for a super serious baker, but I think it would make a good gift if you wanted to give it to somebody who, you know, was dabbling in baking, don't you think? Exactly. The recipes are good. They're standard. You know, all the standard things are covered, cakes and pies and cookies and bars, but there are some different things, too. She is a good baker. She's not an amateur, so it would be a good gift for sure. She has some interesting things, a lot of candies. So if you like, if you have a sweet tooth, gummy bears, salted caramel fudge, chocolate and peanut butter things, a lot of no-bake, quick. Everything is pretty quick you know, with the idea that that's what you do when you're procrastinating. You only have so much time, unless you're a real professional. But most people, they basically want to do some baking with what they have in the house already. And, you know, otherwise that would require going out to the store and buying stuff, and you may not have time to do that. But if you just want a distraction or a procrastination, you look in the cupboard and everybody might have peanut butter and chocolate and oats or flour, sugar, butter, and you can whip something up with that. When I looked at the book and I sort of scanned the recipes, it just seemed to me that, you know, obviously the marketing is, you know, it's all about procrastination. But I also looked at it as sort of like, here's some quick, convenient recipes if you didn't have a ton of time and you you wanted to put something out there, you know. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, and there were some different things, like chocolate almond crunch bars made mm-hmm. with Rice Krispies, blackberry cashew sheet cakes, basically like a riff on peanut butter and jam, mm-hmm. but it's made with cashew butter instead of peanut butter and a cream cheese icing. There's sunflower cherry brioche buns, so mm-hmm. a good way to deal with nut allergies. There, there's a few recipes that have sunflower seeds instead of other nuts. Everything spiced sweet potato biscuits. So, you know, some interesting things, and then also your basic, you know, chocolate chip cookies and butter crunch cookies and muffins and all that. One thing I noticed about the book is it isn't necessarily oriented to healthy cooking. Not at all. <laughs> she has a little broccoli sign so that there, you know, she might point out how you do get some nutrients from the peanut butter and the peanut butter cookies, but I wouldn't call it health food. It sounds funny, you know, to point this out because most baking cookbooks are not health food, but it really seemed over the top in terms of sugar and butter and even shortening corn syrup. Some of those ingredients that I don't usually go to are she uses in the recipes. But you know, you did try out a couple of the recipes and, and they were quite good. So what did you try? First thing I made was the giant cinnamon roll scones which I made for Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. And you know, so I suppose it's a separate question why I was baking on Mother's Day. Because anyways, I can't bake is the short answer. But anyways. But I made it for our mothers too. Yeah. And they were really good. Yeah, they like, were. They were good. They were both 
flaky and soft and sweet, but not too sweet. They were really good. So I would make these again. They're a big hit. Very not health food. They had butter and cream and sugar. And that was the three ingredients that were in there, you know, plus flour and cinnamon, I suppose. But they were good for a special occasion, for sure. My philosophy on this is, you know, like, fine, if you have a healthier recipe, great. But, you know, if you're going to be making cookies and cakes, etc., you know, just if you're really worried about it, have a smaller portion or just a nibble. But don't monk about trying to make something healthy if it won't work. Yeah. I made these basically as they were written and they were yeah. good. And I would make them again. What else did you make? I also made the no mixer brown butter chocolate chip cookies, which was, you know, interesting because you may not have a mixer, you may not want to use the mixer, and they're also made with brown butter, which is so good. If you never browned butter, it's just melting the butter and browning it. It makes the whole house smell good. And because the butter is melted, then you don't need a mixer because all the ingredients just get stirred together. So that was really a good riff on a chocolate chip cookie. still think I like my regular chocolate chip cookies better, but I thought they were really good. And the whole house smelled so good, too. You know, they had the chocolate chip cookie flavor, you know, like you could, if you were shutting your eyes, it definitely tasted like a chocolate chip cookie. But because you put the warm butter in, it melted the chocolate, which means you didn't get chocolate chips. The chocolate sort of melded in with the cookie. So it doesn't give you the full chocolate chip cookie experience if that's what you're looking for. For those who are experiential eaters, such as myself, it was a little bit different. I know. I know. I'm insane. All right. Well, chocolate chip cookies are important. To they you are. And They're to, important and to me. To many people. Exactly. So those are, were two good recipes. Do you have other go-to recipes when you're looking to sort of knock one out quickly? Sure. And that's, you know, on the issue of chocolate chip cookies, because I would say chocolate chip cookies or banana cake are my two, you know, go-tos because mm-hmm. they're both fast and easy and I always have the ingredients. So other than this one, which I just tried... I would suggest you look at Allison Roman's Salted Chocolate Chunk Shortbread Cookies, mm-hmm. uh, which also one of Allison Roman, who's a writer for the New York Times, or she was, every time she publishes a new recipe, it kind of breaks the internet. So these were very famous, and they're also really good. I can recommend them. Yep. Dory Greenspan's Classic Chocolate Chip Cookies, those are my favorite. I make them most of the time when I make chocolate chip cookies. She also has a famous recipe for world peace cookies, which are basically chocolate chocolate chip. I'm not sure why she calls them world peace cookies. I think it was that if everybody ate them, they wouldn't be fighting because the cookies are so good. She might be right about that. She might be. And then Ovenly, Ovenly, which is a bakery in New York, they have Ovenly secretly vegan salted chocolate chip cookies. And those cookies are really good. Sometimes you need a vegan recipe, even if you're not vegan, like you might be dealing with allergies or dietary restrictions. And they're excellent. You would not know they're vegan. All of these recipes, the Allison Roman, Dory Greenspan, and Ovenly are all available on the internet. So you don't need the cookbooks if you don't have them. We're going to provide links yeah. on, online so that if people are interested, they can get them. Yep. And they're all, they're all good. Those are my favorites. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're welcome. We'll hear back from you next month, yes? Yes, absolutely. Fantastic. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Gordon Chang, Carolyn Tanner-Cohen, Dr. Emily Lipinski, ND, and Naomi Bussin. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. 
For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. During COVID-19, we're suspending distribution of the magazine. But Tonic's generally available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss healthy digestion, the efficacy of online pharmacies, dealing with loneliness, and rowing for exercise. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.